okay. Eckert is back. All right. Okay. I'll patch ourselves in. Okay. Do, do we do we take? Uh, gentlemen, uh, we are online and uh, the recording session is now on. Uh, this is uh, February twenty fourth, year two thousand and five, and it's the Ontolock uh, conference call. Uh, today we have a new meeting type, a scheduled discussion that's originally proposed by uh, Kurt Conrad. Uh, so maybe Kurt. Uh, get us kicked off. Sure. Uh, Peter, just for your information, I'm not hearing the echo that we had last time when we did this. That's great. So you don't need to worry about that. Um, yeah, I guess I'm in the enviable position. If, if this really works well, it's all because of Nicholas, because he organized it. And if it's a bomb, it's mine, because it was my idea. Um, this really came out of a number of our regular meetings. And what happened on, I think, about three different occasions, was Nicholas joined us, and at some point in the conversation, he would raise a topic. And what I noticed is my ability to moderate the discussion at that point diminished markedly. And everybody ran off on this topic and started, you know, chewing on it and dealing with it and zooming stuff back and forth. And it was completely out of our agenda. And uh, after cutting him off a few times, I realized, well, what if we didn't cut him off? and instead of trying to go through our regular agenda, actually scheduled a discussion because it's valuable to have those, and it doesn't really fit in our normal kind of project review agenda. So the idea was let's set up a meeting where we simply just talk technical topics, and this is the first one. And we just kind of asked Nicholas to pull together the stuff he'd been kicking in and organize it and talk us through it, and I'm assuming it's going to be neat. We're going to do it again, and we'll have people submit topics as they desire and we'll organize sessions around that. So that's about all I got. Thanks, Kurt. Yep. And let, let's double-check on who's online. Uh, I've got Nicholas uh, Roque, uh, Pat Cassidy, Paul Koch, Kurt Conrad, Andrew Shane, Dwayne Nichol, and I heard a couple more people. Uh, Bill McCarthy. Bill McCarthy. Uh, Brand Neiman. Oh, hi, Brand. Hi, Bill. Adam Pease. Adam Pease. Great. All right. Uh, we are also expecting Ian Beveridge from JPL and Dean Elemang from Top Quadrant. Uh, no? All right. Uh, Nicholas, all yours. Great. Thanks. Um, well, welcome to this uh, technical discussion. And um, on uh, item five, you'll see there's another um, URL about uh, some uh, background materials and uh, some questions that I had written earlier about um, this technical um, discussion. And um, the, the main, um, essentially, a theme that uh, I wanted to focus uh, this discussion on is uh, the idea of uh, constructing an ontology for in, in, in from a practical standpoint where we have um, a good uh, semantic foundation to, um, to have confidence that when um, the time come, uh, comes, we can do some uh, good, um, solid um, reasoning about the ontology. And to do this, it's clear that it's um, it's wise to uh, reuse a, a meta-ontology as a starting point instead of uh, uh, reinventing the wheel from scratch. Uh, we have uh, some examples of uh, really great uh, meta-ontologies. Uh, the most famous ones, perhaps, are uh, Sumo, uh, Dolce, uh, PSL. And I mentioned these three because they um, uh, have whole 
all um, a, a very solid uh, um, semantic um, underpinning, um, axiomatic formalization in KIF, uh, which means that um, uh, it's not just a, uh, a simple um, uh, OWL-DL reasoner tool like a race or a fact that can actually uh, prove a lot of things about these ontologies, but we need to use more uh, you know, stronger reasoning tools like uh, theorem provers, like um, Vampire, for example, like uh, um, um, is used in, uh, in Sumo. And the question uh, here is, um, which meta-ontology um, should we start to pick? And when we pick one, what does it mean to actually develop an ontology that where we can actually say um, what is the meaning of a term relative to the meta-ontology? To make uh, some example clear uh, uh, so that you can have some idea about the kind of um, um, questions I'm, I'm looking into, I'll use um, a little bit of some um, layman introduction to um, to space missions. Um, you know, imagine that um, you know, you're, you're about to design a spacecraft to go to some you know, distant planet. And, um, and, and so you end up uh, building um, an ontology about uh, space missions to talk about uh, the way you're going to build it, uh, what's going to do when it gets there, and the science and whatnot. And uh, some of the questions then are about uh, what uh, is the meaning, for example, of, say, time? Um, if, you, if you take, for example, time um, as far as someone on Earth, well, that means something. If you talk about time as, for example, on a different planet, well, that's a different thing because in physics you have a different time clock over there. If you talk about time on the spacecraft, that's yet another thing because, well, if the spacecraft travels slow, it's, you know, classical time, if it travels fast enough, then it becomes relativistic time. If you talk about the time when, for the, uh, the design of the mission itself, well, that's another kind of time scale. Um, it could be branching time, for example, if there's different options considered for the design. Uh, are you going to use chemical propulsion, nuclear propulsion, solar propulsion, or whatever else? If you talk about the time of the uh, scientific analysis of the data that will be uh, obtained from the spacecraft once it's received uh, on Earth, well, that's yet something else. If you even talk about the time uh, as far as a data product, for example, like say um, a spacecraft is flying by a planet like say Mars or, or, uh, or Saturn or Jupiter and looking at the eye of Jupiter, taking a picture which goes into the spacecraft, which is at some point in time recorded into memory, then transmitted and makes its way down through the space void back to Earth, goes into some storage over here on Earth, and then eventually makes its way into um, the computer of, a, of, of an astronomer or, or a scientist who is analyzing the data. You know, there's an evolving story over there as well. So now the question is, um, it's fairly unlikely that if you pick um, Sumo, KIF, uh, I mean Sumo PSL or Dolce or perhaps some other Inumanita ontology that they will have all of the refinements that we need to talk about this simple mission context. The recommendations that uh, we have, for example, and this is jumping into problem number one, is uh, 
to use uh, our DL because it's the subset of our where um, reasoning is decidable and uh, practical with reasoning tools, which is fine. But that means that now when we want to say, what do I mean by time? What do I mean by spacecraft? What kind of thing is a downlink? Uh, what kind of thing is the transmission, a science image, and whatnot? Now we have to explain that meaning using an annotation to a meta-ontology. The problem there is um, these reasoning tools don't work with um, annotations. So the first question then is, um, what are uh, practical strategies that um, one could recommend as far as graph of ontologies, for example, like I have a domain, maybe broken down into different subdomains and in some other upper ontologies or meta-ontologies around, that are linked and cross-referenced via, for example, annotations and perhaps some other properties. How can we then do some practical reasoning for a specific type of problem or question we want to ask in this type of setting? And I'll open it to you and feel free to comment. Nicholas, uh, Peter Yim here. Maybe before we go into your question, uh, one, did I hear you correctly that you were referring to, let's say, Sumo, PSL, Dolce as uh, meta-ontologies here? Yes. And are you using that sort of interchangeably with uh, upper ontology, or are you oh, calling uh, yes. it a meta-ontology with respect I, to, let's yes. say, the descriptive, descriptive yes, logic-based yes, ontology? Uh, if you're nitpicking, um, I made a slight error. I should have said uh, meta-ontology instead of upper ontology. There could be a meta-ontology like Simo, PSL, or say Dolce. There could be an upper ontology that might talk about a domain in fairly general terms um, that is then further broken down into middle and lower level ontologies, more or less like um, it's done in, in Sumo, for example. Um, that's uh, so. So I, I meant to to mean um, uh, the um, you know sumo uh, PSL and and Dolce as as meta ontologies, not not upper ontologies yet. Although sumo, I understand, includes um, some parts that someone could consider to be upper ontologies. Yes. Um, may I ask whether you um, omit open psych as a Meta-ontology intentionally, or no, no, it could be. It's a legitimate, um, 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 you know, meta-ontology, or if it has parts that are uh, upper ontology, uh, anything that um, I should probably have clarified that anything that you know, from a practical point of view, someone can legitimately say use this or use that, and follow up on that recommendation is 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 a is a, is a valid uh, uh, recommendation to make. You want to pursue the question of reasoning? Um, yes, I would like to uh, indeed um, ask the question: um, How could we reason about, you know, graphs of ontology? Because essentially, that's what we get now, where some of the links from different ontological elements are within our DL, or sometimes escape the uh, the annotation mechanism. Yes. Um, let me uh, try to see if I can phrase it the way I'd prefer to phrase it. Okay. The question is, how do we control the inferencing? Because we know that if you take a complex ontology like Sumo or Psych or anything of that size 
and, and turn loose a first-order inference engine on it, it can go on for a very long time, perhaps forever. Right. Therefore, we have to control the inferencing, and um, there are several proposals for how it's done. The description logic people just restrict what you can say. Uh, in Psych and in Sumo, you have, and in others, you have contexts or sub-ontologies or um, uh, micro-theories. Uh, and and um, the inferencing is allowed to proceed within a small domain, or at least it is in, in, in open psych. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think Adam would, would clarify, but although Sumo has um, sub-ontologies and domains, I, I, the reason that's done by vampire, as, as best I can tell, is not in fact restricted by the um, the subontology as it is uh, in with micro theories in open psych. Anyway, we have that, and then in addition to that, the question is whether you need additional restrictions on or, or additional controls on inferencing. And my suspicion is that we need additional controls on inferencing, but that's um, okay. So that, that's a, it's a very big I issue. Uh, hello. Uh, just uh, this is Adam. Just to, so clarification. So I mean, the names are different, uh, and some of the formal under underpinnings are a little different. But there's still uh, just just as much the possibility of doing inferences within these separate theories uh, in Sumo using the Sigma environment, where you simply load uh, as a distinct knowledge base uh, the elements that you care about uh, that you want to do inferencing in, as opposed to stating them. Uh, as connections in the, the target language as you do in psych. So the same thing is possible, just a different mechanism. Okay, so then um, from a practical standpoint, my, my, my question then is, um, I, I, I think I understand what you meant by um, the distinction of approach where one is following DL to restrict what you can say and then um, therefore it's decidable or has nice properties or the alternative is uh, uh, use a, some form of a context uh, mechanism where we limit the scope of the reasoning uh, to something that's going to be, or that should be tractable and, and um, computation efficient and, and, and life would be great. The question is then, uh, how do we define these contexts? Um, one, it, if, if someone has predefined contexts because, well, they happen often, then and, and, and so on, then that's great, but um, often uh, someone may have uh, you know, some ontologies around, then there's a different kind of, um, of reasoning task that shows up, and, and now the question is, how do we, what do we, what do we need to do to build a context that's going to be adequate for reasoning purposes? Yeah, so, so this is Adam. I'd, my recommendation would be that actually you need a suite of techniques because no particular technique is going to solve this problem. So theories, reasoning within constrained theories is going to help, but you're right, you can't always define what those uh, constrained theories are in advance because you're going to need a certain amount of dynamic uh, combination of different things that are otherwise not anticipated. So the approach that I've taken is state everything in as rich a language as possible. So you're actually recording the full semantics of the things that you care about. I think that the, the approach of restricting the language is, is not a good one because then you've lost information. And the focus should be on how do you want to handle the implementation so you can state things in a form a very formal and rich language 
And then if your application simply requires stricter limits on the complexity of inferencing, then at, at runtime, for that particular application, you compile out what you can reason with efficiently. So you'll lose information, but you'll gain the, the uh, speed and efficiency that you require, and you won't permanently lose that information. It just simply won't be accessible in this restricted application that has very strict uh, time requirements. I would concur with that, Adam. This is Dwayne. And uh, the other the other thing is is that eventually, you know, self-adapt systems will realize that perhaps there is that extra information they do need to check to validate hypothesis about certain situations, and they may need to go back and discover, is there anything else? And at least note and flag that there is this thing here. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to have to find out somehow. Yes, this Pat. There is at least one vendor who who uses that approach in in this in this manner. The, the technique they distinguish between what they call integrity constraints and um, and general axioms. And the integrity constraint is something which is exercised. It's just an ordinary axiom, but it's only exercised at the time when data is entered into a database. Um, and it, it is ignored uh, when queries are um, are executed. And what one can do, for example, is if you want to assert an existential uh, as a consequent, uh, you can do that as an integrity constraint. But what that would mean is that um, when you're entering data, if the thing which you assert exists is not explicitly stated as existing, then it will tell you that your, your constraint is violated. And then there's, there are options of what you can do. So that's one mechanism, which, which I think is consistent with what Adam says, just a specific implementation. Isn't, in, I mean, is integrity constraint something similar to the notion of, for example, uh, um, uh, schema constraints um, in, in, this, in, in, the, in, in the world of databases, where, where there's some form of validation by checking that uh, um, at, at the time of entry, you know, some properties are no longer, uh, you know, still hold. I, I, I don't know the answer. Uh, uh, from from the way you describe it, I suspect that is similar. This, this is Leo. Yeah, yes, it is. Uh, Leo Obers. Um, uh, Leo, is, before you start, I mean, can, can, can I get a sort of uh, checkup on who else joined us be, uh, after we updated the page? Welcome, Leo. And I, I heard Chris Mansell is going to be here, and here, we Peter. should be expecting Ian Deverage and Dean Alemang. Hello, Peter. This is Dean. I just updated myself on the page, so you'll see that I now am listed as late. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, hi, Dean. Hi, hi, Chris. Howdy. Oh, okay. Back to you, Leo. Sorry. Uh, yeah. In the database world, uh, you typically have three kinds of constraints. Uh, you have domain constraints, uh, meaning uh, when you actually enter the data, you constrain it to being, you know, of certain data type, uh, which is called a domain. Um, you'll have referential uh, integrity, if you will, or uh, integrity constraints, which is uh, the things that are in key relationships. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, if something is related to something via this key, um, it may be required that if you update it that you have that key. Um, and then there's uh, semantic uh, uh, constraints, if you will, integrity constraints, which are close to uh, what Pat is characterizing here. In other words, it's an arbitrary rule 
uh, about the domain uh, of interest in your ontology. Um, if something uh, is to be added, it has to correspond to uh, some constraint that you place on the semantics of that domain. Okay. Now, when, um, there were two, two questions that I would like to ask you then. Um, one is, um, could you, uh, do you have uh, pointers to um, systems that have been, you know, described um, somewhere in literature where there is a, a specific discussion uh, on the topic of how do we control um, inferences and, and the reasoning process within an ontology. And um, what I've heard so far is that there is at least three different um, ways in which that control is made. One is at the language level with OWL-GL uh, that we know about. The second, I mean, at least um, I know some pointers to it, and I can put them in the page. The second is um, the um, the kind of a sumo and uh, open psych approach where we state everything, and then uh, in the case of sumo, we extract what we want um, as the scope of the reasoning. And in the case of uh, open psych, there's some notion of uh, micro theory that uh, seems to play an equivalent role to um, the uh, scope of uh, the uh, logical properties that the reasoning process will be able to use. And then there's the uh, third approach, um, which may overlap with the other two, which is the notion of integrity constraint from domain to um, uh, semantic. And then there was another one in between, uh, some kind of referential integrity. Um, so if you have uh, pointers of uh, practical examples, uh, please uh, 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 state them at this time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would add, um, uh, perhaps it's part of uh, two. Um, uh, the uh, so so in your example, I guess uh, sumo, in other words, extract what you want for a given purpose, and uh, the micro theory of of psych. Um, and the micro theory of psych, uh, in particular, is supposed to be uh, logically based. In other words, it's uh, uh, it's trying to define a space uh, of, uh, of entailment relations. Um, uh, it's, it, of course, doesn't apply uh, within psych at the upper level, um, and as is well known. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it's also, uh, I would say, related to this notion of formalization of context um, that has a, uh, actually a thread that goes back to and includes psych. Um, but uh, the John McCarthy, uh, you know, you know uh, Stanford University John McCarthy um, uh, notion of, of what constitutes a context and raising um, axioms or assertions to, from one context to another. Um, we, we, I don't think you've talked about that yet, but uh, it's probably related to two. Um, and then I would actually say that there's probably another um, that's obviously related to both uh, two and three, and and, and obviously uh, partially one, uh, and that's a notion. Uh, let's say best uh, exemplified by um, something like the information flow framework, uh, Robert Kent's meta ontology uh, for uh, composing ontologies and 
projecting ontologies kind of on the fly. Uh, of course, on the fly uh, still has to be defined, but um, it's, it, it's really a meta-ontology that's about ontologies and the relationships between ontologies. With the, what is the work that you were, you, were, you were mentioned in that does this? Uh, this is information flow framework. Uh, it's it's uh, there, there's in the IEEE standard upper ontology uh, working group. Um, one of the uh, let's say uh, candidate resources uh, is uh, Robert Kent's work on information flow framework, uh, and and that's actually based on. Um, category theory. Uh, in between that is information flow theory uh, developed by uh, Barwise and Salgman, um, you know, late 90s. Uh, it, so it's a, it's a way of uh, uh, characterizing, a way of characterizing ontologies and their components, their syntax, semantics, um, in order to uh, at least potentially uh, compose them and project them um, uh, using a formal framework that's uh, founded in category theory. Yeah, I just say that there's a reference to that in the IEEE Standard Upper Ontology homepage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would uh, this pad again. Uh, I, I would add. I think that there are two additional things that I think uh, worth considering. Uh, one is. Um, based on uh, what I feel is, is sometimes under um, uh, underemphasized is that, that one, one should make a distinction between the knowledge and the inferencing techniques that use the knowledge. That the, the knowledge can be um, recorded in just about any format, just a simple text if you will. Uh, and, and, and yet you can have any inferencing engine, uh, restricted ones such as description logic or uh, full first order or second order or whatever, uh, using the knowledge, uh, the restricted engines would use less of the knowledge than, than the less, less restricted engines. With this in mind, uh, what I think one might consider is that you might actually have axiomatizations of certain concepts which are there solely for the, for the use of the ontologist who's trying to understand what these concepts mean. They, they're axioms and they're precise their first order or second order, and they tell you what, what the ontologist intended by this, but they're not ever going to be executed by an inferencing engine. They're just there to make sure that everybody understands what they're talking about. So that's one thing that you could do. Um, and finally, uh, at, at the higher level beyond um, uh, the re restricted context and so on, um, I think we probably will need heuristics to decide when certain inferences should be executed and when they shouldn't. Uh, that they, they can be part of the ontology. They say the inferences axioms can be part of the ontology, and yet they may only be executed under certain circumstances which are determined by heuristics in particular contexts. So uh, it, I think it can get very complex as to deciding when, when you want to do certain reasoning. Okay, there's uh, one thing I would like you to clarify then, because uh, there's some different interpretations of uh, what the meta-ontology is then. Um, one form, uh, for example, that um, at least I'm, I had been aware of before, like if you take, uh, say, 
Dolce, um, and you might, you know, that talks about endurance, perdurance, uh, uh, qualities, and whatnot. If you take a PSI, we have uh, some notions of, uh, of process, activity, activity occurrence, uh, resources, and things like that, um, and and use those constructs to, to now um, construct uh, domain more domain-specific or application-specific forms. That's one sense of metaontology perhaps or perhaps that's not please clarify that if it's not and then the second one which is um, what uh, was discussed uh, now was the sense of uh, um, an ontology that talks about uh, the relationship of, uh, of other ontologies to other ontologies such that uh, reasoning process can more or less understand what other ontologies talk about or or, or if they're perhaps are relevant for some reasoning task. Am, am I? Uh, um, yeah, I, I, if if by the latter you were, you were asking me what I meant by what I said in my in the last part of my comment, uh, I, maybe we'd be better off leaving that 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 question of that is when I said you need you may need heuristics to decide when to use certain uh, uh, reasoning methods or not. Um, that that's different from um, the information flow framework, which relates different ontologies to each other. They, these are distinct things, so I'm, I'm not sure if there is a. So the latter part is uh, what what um, what what type of work uh, is uh, information flow framework? Well, the, the the information for you said it's uh, something that said, talks about how one ontology relates to another, right? That that, that was information flow framework, right? And um, and. And 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 the, and the latter part where you said uh, is uh, about what a reasoner, uh, what information a reasoner could possibly need or, or use. Uh, yes, for some I, time. I, 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 I try to give a concrete example. You might have, for, uh, say, within. Okay, l let us say, for example, that that we know that the the space shuttle has a million and a half parts in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that uh, if you, you, you have a text and somebody asserts that there's a space shuttle, uh, you could, if you had existential part uh, axioms in your ontology, just from, from the fact that there is a space shuttle, you could then in, uh, infer that there are these one and a half million parts and you could list them if you want. Uh, but this seems pretty inefficient. And so you, you, you wouldn't want to do that ordinarily. Right. Uh, so. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you may uh, be trying to interpret a text, and uh, your text may say the space shuttle went up, and uh, and and there was a, a malfunction in uh, well, let's say the uh, the booster mechanism. Okay, so now you have a reference, a definite reference to a booster mechanism, mm -hmm. and uh, if you're interpreting the text, you know. It says the booster mechanism, but this was never previously mentioned in the text. So what booster mechanism are you talking about? You know, where in the world is this booster mechanism? Well, if you haven't previously listed all the parts of the space shuttle, then the booster mechanism would not be already in uh, your prior context. Mm -hmm. So then you have to decide, how are you going to figure out what booster mechanism they're talking about? Well. In, in this specific context, when you, if, if you're looking at, say, uh, natural language, this is the context. You're understanding a natural language text, and you have an unresolved reference. Now you have to decide what 
reasoning mechanisms would permit you to resolve this reference. And one way, for example, would be to, you might ask, well, they're talking about a booster mechanism, so it probably is in the text somewhere. Maybe this booster mechanism is a part of one of the things that's previously mentioned. So you might then execute uh, a, a um, the transitive part relationship and find out what are all the things that a booster mechanism might be part of. And then looking at all these things, ask the question of was one of these things mentioned in the prior text? And that would probably work in this case. But it depends on your context. You wouldn't want to do that all the time. Uh, and, and so what I'm saying is that the kind of inferences that say to execute a transitive part relationship to determine if uh, what some item might be a part of this would be useful in certain contexts and wouldn't be useful in others. So it has to be available in your ontology, but you have to determine when, when you're going to be using it and when you're not. Right, but there, there is the... An interesting correlation between that and the talk last week, because the idea of having a service-oriented infrastructure that can facilitate sort of a, uh, you know, an, a query for those things when and if they're needed, rather than assuming that they are always ubiquitous and present. Uh, so, for an example, in this one, if you had an instance of a space shuttle that developed a problem, and the problem was with a, a booster uh, valve, you could then query the ontology formally to find out what the relationship is and also what other things the booster valve is related to that you may want to check. Uh, for instance, and the, the takeoff of the unfortunate incident where the foam chunk came out, you could have, if you had this information available, queried to see what trajectory it had uh, taken and what other parts it may have impacted to determine, you know, how you should react to those things. So I think the, the you know, this is a relationship to an implementation uh, issue of, you know, how do we make all of this information available and what the methodology is. I don't. So let me make a, a another attempt at this, because this is an important issue. So I, I, what I, the point I think we're trying to clarify is the necessity to capture information that may not be directly accessible to an inference system or may not be efficient for an inference system. So let me give you one very concrete example in Sumo. So if, if folks uh, look at the, the Sumo browser and they go to the concept radiating sound, you'll find an axiom that uses the function kappa fun, which is a dynamic class construction operator. It's not first order, and yet it's very valuable for making definitions. There's an axiom there that says that if we have an instance of radiating sound and the sound is audible, then there exists the class of processes where the process is a hearing and the agent is a human and the, the destination of the event is the human hearing the sound. So that's an important axiom for defining what radiating sound means, but it relies on a construct that very few reasoners will be able to work on. Okay, this, you, you bring in, um, indeed, uh, Adam, a, a very important um, issue that um, also resonates with um, engineering shops like, like here at, at JPL. The question is, in natural language, um, it's often, you know, fairly easy sometimes after the fact to say, well, yes, in the case of the form example, you didn't talk about it um, in your initial assessment about um, the analysis of the spatial launch and whatnot. 
And um, Adam, yes, you're right that um, if um, we had uh, an ontology that had formalized uh, everything, that it, the information would be there. The problem is there's never a single unifying viewpoint across different disciplines, um, whether it's engineering, business, or, or, or whatever, where somebody could say, are we complete as far as all of the terms and whatnot that we might need to talk about this specific domain? Yeah, we can never be complete. I mean, I don't think anyone would actually make that claim. The point is simply that we shouldn't limit ourselves uh, and deliberately exclude constructs that could be captured simply because in a particular application it might not be possible to inference over that knowledge in a way that's consistent with the time constraints of that particular application only. There may well be other applications which can tolerate not getting an answer or can tolerate uh, terminating uh, a process that's, that's sort of gone off into reasoning infinity. And the, one of the criticisms that I have with the approach of focusing only on the description logic as your language for knowledge capture is that it excludes a whole class of possible applications um, that, that can tolerate less efficient reasoning and therefore prevents us from capturing information that is critical in defining some of the terms that we may care about in our world simply because uh, of an assumption about the downstream uh, applications for that knowledge. And I think a much uh, more sensible approach is, cap and, and I, I think that the PSL folks would, would uh, presumably uh, concur with this, is you know, capture uh, information in the language that you need to capture everything you know, and then uh, try to develop techniques and approaches to specific applications that are sensible for the, the time needs of that particular application. So that may mean uh, knowledge compilation. It may mean excluding some applications. It may mean uh, performing integrity constraints at design time and not uh, attempting to handle uh, that, that sort of thing at runtime. It may mean doing applications like I do in Sigma for caching knowledge. It may mean doing forward inference at knowledge entry time like Psych does. I mean, there's a whole host of different solutions uh, that, that we barely touched upon that allow us to handle the whole space of considerations uh, within this particular issue about what do we capture and then how do we inference over what, what we've captured. I, I understand, uh, Adam, your, your point, but um, I have um, um, wrestled in, in practice about taking well, about two issues. One is there's very few people who have the skills to develop, for example, a formal ontology, say, in KIF, uh, like uh, PSL, Dolce, or, or even Sumo. So the problem is, um, in practice, you know, people will have to use a significant amount of uh, ontologies that will have been already formalized. The problem is now understanding what are the ontological commitments that were made in building this ontology specifically. Let me give you one example that yesterday was discussing or, or, or looking into in between PSL and, um, and Dolce. Uh, in PSL, um, um, Matt Greninger told me that or said that you know, time is in fact non-modal. Whereas in Dolce, if you read about it, well, they take uh, a modal approach to time and explain the reasons why they do so. Now, on, on surface, it means, well, you know, those two are not 
compatible because they make you know in incompatible modeling of a very basic concept like time. They're not really incompatible. Uh, yes, I agree with you that they're not necessarily incompatible, but the way to resolve their differences means that somebody has to say they could be compatible, for example, if you said uh, if we define a specific context where now um, time is no longer modal but non-modal, then you can apply PSL, uh, but that would require making, you know, realizing that we have to talk about, uh, say, PSL in the context of Dolce relative to some context that fixes time as a non-modal entity. This is a great example of why ontology merging, at least in my opinion, is kind of a non-starter because there are inevitably between any two ontologies that are of any significance and are formalized going to be dramatic issues, deep issues, that are going to take as much time to resolve as, as creating an ontology from scratch. I don't think this issue actually addresses the, the topic we were on before, but it's a very important issue. I agree. I mean, the, the, the discussion has kind of shifted to, uh, to that. But even, for example, if, if you take, um, you know, Sumo, um, when, when, for example, I've looked at, at some of the notions, well, there's some distinctions that are made, for example, that in the context of, say, you know, you know space missions are, you know, could be characterized as presumptuous because, well, um, we'd find more differences um, 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 before making certain commitments. So the problem is even in something as carefully crafted as, as Sumo, someone is bound to find, uh, you know, some, you know, basic, um, you know, differentiation somewhere high up on the food chain that may actually turn out to be a problem. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think now now we've dramatically shifted, shifted the issue once again, which is can any, uh, and I think the issue you're now addressing is can any one upper ontology meet all needs? And, uh, you know, I would certainly welcome the opportunity to talk about any specific issue you think that would somehow render Sumo incompatible for a particular domain modeling application. Usually I find that that sort of a, uh, opinion winds up being underpinned by either a misunderstanding of what's actually in Sumo or a conflation of uh, issues of terminology or knowledge uh, with ontology. Well, you, 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 you're right that uh, there's a, 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 another uh, question about should we use one or, or, or multiple. For the time being, um, it, it looks like there are at least multiple candidates that someone could in practice reasonably want to look into or perhaps use. Then the question is, if we want to be careful about how we do this in terms of having uh, some uh, perhaps um, specification about um, uh, or essentially what is the information that we would need to describe in order to say I'm using Sumo and the way I'm using it is because of this or I'm using PSL and the way I'm using it is because of that and, and so on and so forth. What, you know, is, is, there, is there a way that we can for, for practitioners um, describe uh, the type of um, documentation that is required when we make this kind of uh, use of a meta-ontology. Yeah, I, I mean, if the, 
I think that uh, you know any one of the, the three upper ontologies, whether it's Open Psych, Sumo, or Dolce, is probably going to be just fine for any given application. That this, the decision about which to choose is not going to be a factor of some critical underlying ontological assumptions that either renders it fit or unfit for a given application, but rather that decision needs to be made on the basis of sort of practical considerations of what's available. Uh, you know, is the ontology uh, open source? Does it have, what, how big is it? Uh, does it have a wealth of available domain ontologies? Does it have linguistic mappings if you're interested in linguistic applications? What's the tool support? You know, the, the issues are not not an underlying ontological assumption, but rather just what are the factual existence of, of associated products available and how extensive and available are those products themselves. I, I understand um, that there's um, these um, uh, other considerations that you, you've mentioned, but um, maybe um, let me um, perhaps try to bring it back to something much more practical uh, at least in my in my my sense of the word, um, if you read, for example, uh, the discussion on um, on Ontoclean about um, the importance of, um, of 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 understanding even the simplest notion of subsumption relationship that many people um, have, um, have problems about, and um, in some presentation, um, you know, Chris Walty describes the concept of person and um, what is a person, whether you're talking about the person within as a, something that ceases to exist when the person dies, or you're talking about the concept of a person beyond the person's lifetime, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> the question is whether your ontology can see dead people, huh? <laughs> Right, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, and the, the problem there, um, uh, Adam, is uh, these are, are, are subtle differences that I would say perhaps 90% of, uh, of, say, if you talk about uh, using ontology in the context of engineering, that engineers don't, you know, spend much time to think about. But yet, it's the very type of, of uh, misalignment that can happen uh, so easily that can lead to all kinds of problems later on. And yeah. so the question is, if we're going to pick just any of those, you know, meta-ontologies out there, how is it that someone is going to be able to say, okay, I'm using, say, person from Sumo, but what do I get for this? Where, how is it that I actually can, can, can say, here is the theory about what a person is? Right. So, so there, that's, there, there are two considerations here. So the first is that we shouldn't expect the, the sort of the average modeler, if there is such a thing, um, to be working at the level of the, the top levels of any of these ontologies, you know, Endurant and Perdurant and so forth. Uh, we shouldn't expect people to use these things, and that's why it's so valuable and important to have lower level ontologies that are the things that people would actually be using day to day, and why for Sumo we've put so much work into creating these, you know, 20,000 terms and 60,000 axioms that we think are the actual bulk of what people would wind up using for modeling. And it provides not only lower level hooks so that people don't have to worry about these considerations, but it also, for those rare situations where people really do need to delve into the details, also provides essentially use cases and existing models 
for how people go about modeling lower-level things with respect to the structure provided by the upper level of the model. So it's not enough just to have you know, your high-level ontology of, of 100 terms because that isn't going to give people enough framework to really get their hands around what, what they need to in order to do practical level modeling. The domain ontologies are an essential component, I think. Well, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, there's definitely a value in having um, libraries of, uh, of very practical um, domain-relevant uh, ontologies that have been carefully crafted. No, yes, totally agree with this. The fact is, um, in um, you know, in in the community of engineering, uh, people build models all the time, and it's not people who have uh, you know backgrounds in, in in math philosophy or in whatnot who do so. It's people who use things like XML Spy and a bunch of uh, modeling tools, UML now and and what whatnot. You know, building you know something that uh, you know almost looks and quacks like an ontology is becoming you know more and you know easier and easier as, as as time progresses so the question is eventually it becomes important to um, you know step down from um, you know the the altar of uh, you know taking it uh, you know an intellectual argument and 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 biting the bullet in, in saying okay um, if um, you know through the course of some interview or, or helping someone uh, we want to make some um, you know semantic um, interpretations of, uh, of some terminology more precise the question then still remains it's far from obvious that you can pick any of you know of these uh, you know meta ontologies that uh, we've discussed so far and say is my notion of this similar or aligned with this the concept you know the same concept the, the concept of the same name in in that uh, in that ontology or perhaps one of its synonyms and it goes back to my, my point earlier um, right now uh, if you say uh, say everything for example in kif well it's in my opinion not not an adequate answer because the only way that you can actually test if your view of person and my view of person are similar is to do some reasoning on KIF. But you're only going to do this if you have some prior confidence that it would be actually worthwhile doing this analysis. Well, so you, so you have a couple alternatives. I mean, your alternatives are, okay, you know, don't use anything, create it from scratch, or create it in a modeling language that actually isn't explicit about what you mean, and just assume that you've done the right thing, or uh, bite the bullet and and step up to this next level of formalization. So there's a problem that that I I call you know looking under the lamppost. People will say, gosh, you know this KIF stuff is just too hard. So so therefore we're going to do something that's easier. Well, unfortunately, the easier thing doesn't allow you to be explicit about what you mean, and so actually just leaves the industry in a state where it is right now. You know, 50, 60 years ago, we could have said programming. Gosh, you know. There are only, you know, two or three programmers in the entire world. This programming stuff's too hard. It's never going to catch on. But there was value to it, and so it did catch on over a long period of time, and now we have, you know, millions and millions of trained programmers in the world, and I certainly see the same thing is going to be true as people realize that 
just making taxonomies with English definitions actually doesn't get them any explicit meaning and leaves their systems vulnerable to misunderstanding and breakage that, um, you know, going to start adopting the technologies that we as these uh, sort of very, uh, you know, industry leaders here have, have uh, started adopting or, and are trying to evangelize. Okay, let me maybe approach the problem in a different way. Um, again, you know, from a practical point of view, you know, PSL, in, in, in my view, is, is, is really nice because it, you know, the upper part is really simple, you know, process, activity, activity occurrence, um, you know, there's not much that you need to know in order to talk about processing, and you can paint all kinds of things processed using an appropriate interpretation of uh, some uh, ontology of discourse with, with PSL. Okay, fine. The question then is now, if you want to now do this um, in some fairly liberal way so that you can talk about uh, some assumptions that somebody makes about what is relevant and what is not relevant for some specific task, well, in my view, that's almost saying that the information that we assume is irrelevant has no bearing uh, is either as a resource or as an input to the task viewed as a process, for example. And now the question is, how is it that I could look at uh, some annotation or some attributes or some definition you know, in some, um, you know, upper ontology, like say Texumo or Dolce and whatnot, where if I want to ask, if can I view this, for example, can I say view, say, a human as an input to a process? What would, you know, if I do this, for example, in Sumo, and if I say talk about talking on the phone as the process itself, is, 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 you know, how is it that, what is it that I have to do now to find out if I'm making some kind of ontological, you know, monstrosity in doing this, or whether it's something that is, is okay? Okay, let, uh, can I interject here, this Pat. Uh, I, I, the issue you raise is, of course, absolutely critical, that the, any ontology, if it's going to be used, it has to be usable. Um, and uh, one of the points I made at one point was that I, I felt that the, uh, these ontologies have to be at least as easy to learn as, say, the Java programming language. If someone corrected me, said, no, it has to be easier. And I think that's probably correct. Mm -hmm. They have to be easier. And my suspicion is that it can be easier for this reason that because the ontology itself contains elements of semantics within it, that one can build tools that will take advantage of the semantics in the ontology to make it easier for people to understand what the ontology does. But the critical thing is you have to build tools. And, and yes, I think all the things you want to do can be done, but they depend upon somebody building the tools. And um, my feeling is that at this point, one of the real roadblocks to getting these tools built is that there isn't any agreement yet on what the upper ontology should be. That uh, people keep saying you'll never you'll never agree upon an upper ontology. Okay, we won't get everybody to agree upon an upper ontology. We won't, for example, get everybody to agree to use their own native language. Some people in the world, there are I think two million who decide they want to use uh, some some constructed language. Okay. Uh, two million out of, say, seven billion. It's true, you won't get everybody to use it, but you don't need everybody to use it if you can have just one upper ontology that is used widely, 
uh, say by 25 or 35 percent of those people who are trying to build ontologies, that in itself would be enough of a de facto standard that you would then get vendors and academics and so on to start building the tools that you need to make these things easy to use. But, uh, until we get a upper ontology that is widely used, people will be inhibited from building the tools. The tools are possible to build. We can do this. And we can make it easy to use the way you, you feel must and I feel must be done. But probably it'll be very hard to get to that point until there's some agreement on what upper ontology we use. This is Dwayne. I would uh, interject there that there is tools that could be used today to express that upper ontology in an application queryable format. And even the associations between instances constrained by the uh, you know, EBXML registry information model can be queried to find out what other things are you related to, what concepts are you classified under, what other concepts are you related to, and what's the nature of those associations. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, th there are tools, and, and you know, I, I love Protege. I think it's a beautiful tool, too. But but when, when your ontology gets large, then it starts getting more difficult to interpret these. I mean, you if you look at Protege and you want to say, oh, what are the relationships between uh, the, on, on this particular class? If you include the inherited relationships, they can go up into the hundreds, and then you have to sit down there and look and say, well, is this what I want, or is this not what I want? Mm, uh, one tool, for example, would be... The methodology uh, of the tool, not the tool itself. That's the uh, methodology of how you use the tool. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but, 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 but let me give you one more example, okay? Um, uh, to me, the, the critical thing is that that's not emphasized enough uh, is that in, in order for two... Um, ontologies or two knowledge representations uh, to really mean the same thing, the semantic relations must mean the same thing. Those are the critical elements that tie the concepts together. Uh, when people talk about mapping ontologies, usually you talk about the taxonomies, which of course is important, but you can map the taxonomy and they still would be totally different if the semantic relations don't mean the same thing. And uh, and so uh, what's, the, what's the, the most elemental thing that you need to do if you say, here, I'm going to use somebody else's upper ontology. Now, I have, I have this class, and I have this class, and, and I, I believe there's a semantic, you know, domain expert says there's a semantic relationship between these two things. Say, I, I have a ship, and, and, and uh, this, this ship has, uh, this particular class of ship has three stacks. How do I say that? Uh, that's the declarative approach that I favor, which is not saying that this thing is a de facto relationship, or this thing is not a uh, factual relationship to this thing, that this entity asserts this thing is related to that. And it can only be a unilateral assertion. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bilateral. And you know, if you look at the ISO 11792002 Part 3 work, they recognize that the difference between those bilateral and unilateral assertions. Wh which, uh, which standard are you referring to again, Dave, please? The, uh, uh, so the nature of association in uh, the tri ISO IEC 11179-2002 Part 3 specification. Uh, okay, with, uh, what's the number again? You, you said it a bit too quickly. Uh, sorry, 11179. 11179? Yeah, and uh, it's from ISO and IEC. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a uh, specification for metadata registry repository. And uh, there's uh, six parts to the specification. Part three is the one you want to look at for this particular set of uh, constructs. And uh, the 2002 version of the spec has the notion of um, everything expanding from the conception, from the um, administrative region, which is very interesting because that recognizes that something that exists in the concrete physical register repository. 
actually has a notion of being owned by somebody. So there you, therefore you could assert or infer that this person has blessed this association or this object or this classification node for this thing, which doesn't necessarily mean that everything is the same way. It just means that one party has unilaterally declared this. You can then, uh, in implementation, you could actually infer a reciprocal agreement to that from another object, from another person or another instance of uh, an entity arising from the administrative region. So you could have you know, express that there is either a unilateral declaration or a bilateral consensus on this issue. Uh, Duane, we should probably mention, though, that 111.79 does suffer from the same problem that most da existing data models do, and at least in my estimation, <laughs> it's not an ontology because it just has terms and English definitions and isn't actually defined in a formal or computable language. That That is true, and, it, and they suffer from also a lack of a, a concrete interface. Um, you know, the, the, the notion of it, though, I like is the fact that it doesn't restrict you from adding your own uh, semantics to what those things are. So, you know, you can make an association. It, it says uh, what an association is, but the nature and names and labels and all the other details of that association are user-defined. Yeah, I, would, I think though that that that's a that's a certainly valuable characteristic. It's also one that I think all of the upper ontologies share. I mean, for example, every time you add an axiom that mentions any term in Sumo, you're essentially extending the semantics of Sumo, and and that's valuable and expected and necessary. And uh, the, you know, for the, the from where I come from in the uh, the world of metadata registry repositories, I'm really seeing more and more that the queryable ontology is really the missing component because we've approached this in the register repository world from a you know developer standpoint from a bottom-up perspective of you know give us a set of requirements what do you want this piece of software to do and we do it but without that upper level ontology guiding the implementations uh, you know how they're populated and how the instances are put into these things there's a big specification I think, you know, uh, sorry, sorry to interject, but uh, you brought up uh, 111.79. Um, there's actually an effort on now to extend that. Um, so it's, uh, and there's a fledgling uh, protege-based ontology of the 111.79 constructs that are uh, in this uh, uh, extended um, metadata registry project. Um, so we could provide that uh, offline, um, you know, to the, the, the interested group here, yeah. uh, uh, pointers. Well, I'm sure 10 years from now we'll be talking about extensions to 11179 along with the Great Dig Project in Boston and uh, doing something about global warming. It's an infinite project. I hope not. Who uh, <laughs> made this uh, comment about uh, some um, offline discussion there? Leo. Uh, yeah. What uh, do you mean by so the XMPR project? Um, Which project is this? It's an extended metadata registry. It's an extension of uh, the based on the 111.79 standard, uh, but extending it. I think if you Google XMDR, you'll find it. Yeah. XMDR. Uh, this is Brand Leo. That's a real interest because Mike Takata has asked myself and I have asked Peter to join me in a discussion of how to evolve 111.79 to OWL. Because Mike Takata is in a situation where uh, at Homeland Security they have a lot of legacy investment in 111.79.
But, that's, that's underway. Yeah. yeah, some of the proponents of this um, actually are pretty ontology savvy, so uh, they want to make sure that it extends to ontologies too. I think there's also a, in the EBXML register repository a group looking at a very similar thing, and in some cases that may be more concrete because they actually have software that's out there uh, that very closely resembles the um, the uh, ISO 179. Uh, Brand, this is Dwayne. I, I, I meant to talk to you at XML 2004 last year, and I really want to sit down with you one day and talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, we Mike Dakana has got a long list of, of reasons why 111.79 presents real difficulties, starting with there are no vendor, real vendor implementations. So yeah. what you just said, Dwayne, if you've got some got some software that actually implements 111.79 or Most implements an OWL version of it, that would be welcome, too. Yeah, it's, it's most parts of it. Um, it's, there's a few things that the uh, 2.5 EBX small register repository stopped from, and in my opinion, that's nothing that they, they step back from as a showstopper. I think it provides, a, you know, that by dropping 5% of the stuff, they simplified it by a factor of 10. And Great. I, from my perspective, coming from the register repository world and just getting you know, the, the first fledgings of a glimpse into the Scientology world, I would probably speculate that, you know, the time in 2005 to try implementing some of the stuff within a registry repository just to see what issues come up would be, you know, a good idea. So, so Leo, is that the XMDR work that you're referring to? Uh, yes, what it's trying to do is uh, actually implement 111.79 uh, so the, the implementation, I think, is due uh, summer of this uh, of 2005, the first version. What do you mean by implement? I mean implement being, I mean, go, uh, taking it from uh, a, a, a English language spec into a computable spec. They have uh, yes, having software that uh, implements it. They haven't defined in 11179 any concrete interfaces or concrete bindings, so. Up until last year at this time, uh, they had all this wonderful theoretical work and data models that were completely detached from anything tangible. No, no, that's true. Uh, and XMDR is trying to shortcut that. Um, kind of, uh, there's been a lot of work that's been done on bindings and um, other portions of the standard, and they really want to have a kind of prototype. Um, that uh, goes beyond the current standard to give you an idea of what uh, a real implementation could consist of. Uh, are you involved with that work, Leo? Uh, tangentially. MITRE is though, right? Uh, we're we're aware of it. Oh, okay. And 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 Wayne, were were you um, referring to some specific work that you've done that is not part of this XMDR? Uh, Yes. Uh, work. Yes. And and uh, what is there some uh, pointer to that uh, work that you could uh, tell us about? No, it's within global security and justice, so I can't. Oh, I see. Oh, well. So this is beyond the Oasis uh, Red Wrap uh, work that you're talking about, Joey. No, no. This is this is a very specific implementation of some. Uh, data models and other lexicons within a uh, queryable register repository for reconciling uh, events um, through the justice uh, international security uh, kind of vertical. 
I would like to go back to um, Pat's description of the, the the issue. I think he he, he hit the nail on the on the, on the spot there when you said Pat that uh, we need builds we need to build tools to understand what an ontology does, and um, and if you take tool as as really the um, you know equivalent to a process. Uh, again, you know, some kind of like a PSL, you know, view on this thing. Uh, then you say, well, what um, what are the inputs to that process, and what are the outputs? What other resources would would, you know, would go into it? Um, but more importantly, um, you know, if the focus is to make uh, ontology easier to use, then there must be some form of a performance assessment about exactly what how do we evaluate um, what we get and whether it's exactly what we we wanted. Um, and and how do we um, you know make an assessment about how well uh, the tool is 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 doing this type of job? And um, what I've heard from um, the discussion on um, uh, on this uh, extended metadata repository 11.79 is that it seems like um, it's part of uh, what we would need um, as a kind of a language. Um, for this tool to be able to query an ontology um, behind the scenes, um, but uh, it does not really seem, as, as far as I understand, to talk about the output of the process or that tool in the sense of um, how um, do we need to present the information back to the user in a way that uh, becomes understandable, um, not just you know, referring to some form of um, uh, kind of like a owl to um, natural language um, conversion, but I mean that uh, even if it were, uh, if we had something that did this uh, in, a, in a very reasonable form, the results could still be um, cognitively overwhelming in the sense of involving way too many things for the user to really care about. Uh, so there's some issue there about uh, it seems to me some form of maybe focusing mechanism or or uh, there is. Uh, that that kind of uh, help there that is not mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Well, as, part, as part of the tools that will help you use an ontology, you certainly need focus, and and not only not only in the course of development, but in in, in the course of um, of implementation. I mean, you may. Uh, you may want to develop your ontology in the context of, of, a, of a fairly large set of ontologies, like, for example, the, the Sumo set, okay? But when you want to build an application, you really only want in your application those specific concepts and relations that are going to be relevant to, to your application so that you don't uh, waste time doing doing things that are irrelevant. So, so you... You, uh, you need to have a mechanism for pulling out of a larger ontology, a subset, or a view, if you wish, that um, that that's specifically relevant to your, to your task at hand. Now, all of these questions become very much easier to answer if you have specific applications. I mean, real programs that operate that do things with an ontology, and there are so few of those around. You know, of course, I mean, except for the logical query mechanisms, you can query ontologies, but but programs that actually do things other than just query the database are really hard to find, and, and it would be very much easier to to um, to evaluate an ontology if you had one. These uh, programs actually do have mechanisms for doing this. There's a, a filter query which was invented by Len Gallagher at NIST 
and there's actually warning mechanisms you can put in it when you specify a query. So you could ask for, send me this back, but if more than three instances of this thing come back, send me a warning so I can refine the query. And all of the interfaces in and out of these things are defined in a machine processable manner, and there's no um, idea or notion whatsoever of presentation on this. Uh, any of these specifications, they just simply act as a uh, as a relatively dumb, you know, subservient component to. Well, what program was this you're referring to? I didn't catch that. The EBXML register repository. Oh, oh, okay. Specification. So it, it re from an architectural standpoint, I think what I'm hearing you guys say, and I, I would concur with this, is that. You know, it's really the architecture around these things that really has to be clarified because, you know, as a component, we can say, yeah, we have a component that does that. We have Sumo, and it can correlate these different ontologies to each other, and we have many other mechanisms. We have a common syntax, XML, perhaps, to use in this, and God knows we have three million transport mechanisms, but developing an architecture for semantic reconciliation and event uh, reconciliation and causality and uh, understanding some of the other good things out of you know what what an ontology in a uh, several ontologies can give us back is uh, some work that I don't think has really been taken down to a concrete level yet it might be inter an interesting activity just to uh, you know look at how that could happen Oh, so there's an additional consideration though which is I think one of, of what our expectations should be so you know, if you're writing a significantly sized Java program, you're going to be using, you know, the JDK libraries, which are enormous. And you know, there aren't really any focusing mechanisms. There are there are linkages between the different classes and methods. Um, and you can look at JavaDoc, and you can look down the hierarchy, look at, at you know various other connections. But fundamentally, you still have a problem uh, that necessitates learning that library, learning your way around it. And there's, I think, going to be a, a necessary parallel here with ontology. If you're going to use a reuse a large ontology, you know, there's a huge benefit that you get from not having to create things from scratch and reusing something that is of high quality. But there is, of course, a penalty, which is learning your way around the system. And that's not something, you know, it's something to be helped by tools, but it's not fundamentally going to be solved by tools. No. Tool, tools just aid in it. And, you know, in the Java example, though, I mean, you know, I, I don't look upon, you know, hard coding of ontologies into register repositories as the answer. I think that, you know, those, the, the, the register repository as a component just really supplies the reply to the queries that go into it. It's really formulating those queries in an intelligible way, and you know, it's a set of iterative explorations into the ontology that would allow you to do that. And you know, that involves a lot of components. That's not just the the registry is just part of, I guess, what would be the uh, the knowledge source from the like a Blackboard AI pattern. But then you would have also your um, you know reasoning engine, your inference engine, um, your event sources. I mean, there's, there's so much more to the equation, and I don't think um, I've seen anyone really sit down and throw all the things together and, and look at the architecture of what it could look like. Actually, what you just said is, uh, you know, ring, rings, uh, you know, ring, uh, rings a bell here in the sense that uh, when you said the the important thing is, uh, you know, how do we formulate, you know, queries to use ontologies? If you take, for example, say, Simo, PSL, say Dolce. Um, you could have just bad queries that will just return um, not very useful information 
because perhaps the query, although it might be well-intentioned in, uh, or um, exactly what uh, is required, is not asking, um, um, is not stated in a form that um, is, um, is, is useful um, or, or practical for that on specific ontology. And yeah, it depends how you query it. So if you, you know, in the law enforcement and international justice community, if you found an automobile and somehow this information was fed into a system, a system should be able to talk to some interface and say, we have found this, and there's some unique identifier that can link it specifically <coughs> to a query that it can find out that this thing is an instance of this. And from that, they can say, what are the touch points to other things, and what is the nature of those touch points? And, you know, it, it's an iterative step, because if you obviously get too much back as a result of a query, um, you know, it's like when you when you type in XML on Google, if you got back three million hits, it's not going to probably help you much more. You need to get a, a you know very pointed uh, query out with a uh, a set of meaningful results back, and that is a y holy grail. Yes, but yeah, this is real. Uh, yeah, the problem with that, though, of course, is that it's like um, a cosmic ray uh, shooting cosmic rays and watching the scatter diagrams, right? So it's empirical, uh, but the query itself. You know, it's kind of random, and you hope to revise that over time to kind of highlight the things that you're interested in, but uh, it's it's a shotgun approach, really. No, not necessarily. Uh, we have, uh, if you look at the way the CCTS uh, was constructed from UNCFAT, uh, they have a very narrow approach where you get one result back from your query. So if I query, uh, you know, e each element on a uh, an XML uh, message would have a fixed attribute value of the unique identifier for it in the register repository. I can fire off a very, very well-constructed query that would give me one result back. I can say, what does this element mean when it appears in this context, in my language, in another context? And it will give me one and one only result. If it gives me two, it has to give me an error. So it's really the methodology of how, you know, the architecture around the mechanism and the methodologies and the frameworks you're working in, how they specify you make those queries. Of course, if you just query it and just take a natural language word and say, give me everything back that has this string in it, well, you're going to get garbage back. Well, but it, uh, I mean, what Duane, what, what you're saying, I mean, it sounds nice, but it, it, it's a kind of like a circular argument that in the, you're, it seems to me like you're saying the query can become you know, sensible because you can't, you, it's relative to a context, but then how do you define the context? Well, you define the context by defining what are the things that you're interested in. Uh, well, how do you define that? Well, you have to understand, in some sense, how the ontology represents the things that you really want to find out. In right. the in the case of uh, I mean you, you, if you read uh, you know I don't know uh, if you look at film noir or detective stories or and whatnot you know why was the car relevant well maybe it's not because it's a car maybe it's because it's parked next to um, you know a tree or you no know, it's not because it's a car maybe it's because it has a red X on the uh, I don't know on the hood or no it's because it turned out to be uh, you know right there when it was a blue moon I don't know I mean it, it the, the the problem is um, is, is what is the um, the kind of a context uh, that we need to specify, or if you want to look at it this way, or what are the um, uh, the terms and relationships uh, that we have to to use um, in, in formulating the queries such that it actually um, makes sense is is uh, in itself um, a, a, a 
somewhat of a of a, of a practical problem. I mean, it kind of lo looks to me like a chicken yeah. and egg type thing. Yeah, and it's, you know, I've, I'm more aware of the context issues. In, in the UN uh, CCTS, there's an eight-dimensional uh, context matrix, and uh, it's very, very difficult just to load this thing up into your head to start thinking about, you know, something with eight faucets and multiple variations of each one. Um, you know, at, at some time, there is a, you know, there's a set of known things, and at some time, an application should be able to make a jump to, you know, form dynamic queries, and I think that is really the stepping off point from the, the world where most people live in and the world from, you know, that's kind of into the what if. And, you know, it's not so much the first query. The first query is a very tangible, very easy, you know, what is car related to? But it's, you know, car is related to an owner. Well, what does an owner have? Oh, an owner has a place. And then inferring from that that does the place the owner live at have a geographical proximity to the place the car was found at? You know, those are the kinds of logical things that an application should be able to, within this kind of a framework, deduce on its own and, you know, follow that logic. And that, this logic may be flawed. It may be like, you know, my coffee table has four legs, so does my dog. My dog is a coffee table. But... You know, at some point, I would assert that there's probably some usable logic in that argument. Um, yes, there may be. Uh, maybe could you clarify then? You know, in, in my view of, of, of context, it really involves two things. One is obviously some kind of a perspective on the set of concepts, relationships, and whatnot that uh, are important um, uh, to talk about from an ontological perspective. The second is uh, more kind of like a, a, a problem-solving or task-oriented uh, view of, well, you know, these entities and concepts in the ontology, they are not just static things. They, they are involved in, in various types of uh, processes, and, and it's um, really uh, connecting, uh, I think, the, 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 the task-specific aspects of, uh, of a problem we're working on um, first um, uh, uh, as a starting point to find out context that may be relevant where um, where we where we can find a, a, a focusing mechanism whereas if we look at uh, first uh, you know the the analogies of concepts and things that are similar and whatnot these are more static um, type of relationships or maybe um, you know, linguistic associations that may have no bearing for the the problem I'm working on. Well, context, uh, there, there's a notion of the context framework as part of the CCTS uh, specification, but a couple of us took it and ran with it and actually came up with it as, a, as useful for weighing in probability. Um, it's usually used for modeling in the CCTS context, but... You know, we, we've looked at it like if somebody asked you and said to define the word stock in the English language, what does stock mean? Without any further context to clarify it, you can't give a, a, a good answer. However, we could, by inferring some other things uh, that go with our request for the definition, you know, the definition of stock, if uh, the location was on the Wall Street uh, in New York and it was a stock exchange tower and both of us were instances of stockbroker, there was a probability that could be placed on it that stock is probably referring to the definition that refers to some sort of a uh, um, ownership in a corporate entity. Whereas if we were at a cattle ranch in Missouri, it may be 
referring to a bunch of livestock or cows. So the context framework is not a really a static known variable, and it's a. I think it's an important part, and I'm not sure how this is really touching on ontological um, applications or how where it may impact that. But I think there's some definite uh, interesting things to look at. I, I, if I, I mean, maybe uh, I think I. I understand what you're saying by this probabilistic interpretation of context. It turns out that recently I was helping my son about, uh, you know, some kind of a science project about environmental issues and you know exactly what was that. So we picked up the dictionary and looked at what is environment. There's five definitions for that, three of which were relevant to his problem. But that's kind of, but the way uh, we kind of decided they were relevant is in some sense that the underlying ontologies uh, for each of the five definitions, more or less, um, alludes to, in my view, um, tasks or, or, or processes that are uh, either relevant to what we're concerned about or not. And if they are, then that definition, um, by association now, is uh, highly relevant. And, um, and using all of the words from there, all of the concepts involved, then could lead to a reasonable assumptions about what we're talking about. So in your context, in, in the sense of uh, what you said about stock and you know stock versus uh, livestock, um, um, if you looked at it from the person's activities, for example, or or, uh, or processes he's engaged in, and talked about you know finance pro related processes or agricultural processes, then there's enough there. Um, um, I think. Um, um, connection to use um, a more functional or process view of um, of of of, uh, of of filtering an ontology to extract the relevant parts rather than the more static conceptual um, analysis of what things are relevant to other things. Let me give you another example me. of this though too. Um, you know, you you would think in uh, an ontology you could define what a first name of a person is. Agreed? Mm -hmm. We could probably all sit on this call and agree first name of person is this. So I'm in uh, application and I'm a part of an ERP system and I get a purchase order in. And on the purchase order there's two instances of elements that say we are instances of the first name of a person. Now the problem is, is if one of them is in the hierarchical path of purchase order buyer party first name and the other one's purchase order seller party last name, in that context, those are two semantically different things. And depending on my role, which my role might be to map this name to either an account or to a purchasing link, I have to take one of those first name values and map it up to one thing and the other one and map it up to the other thing. So the, the context becomes a very important part of the semantics in that, that example. I agree, yes. That, um it's a context there, but as a location, um, not not as process. Uh, can I change the subject? Can I? Uh, Nick, Nicholas, uh, sorry, this is Leo. Um, I'm going to have to go. Uh, I just want one comment to refer back to your um, original annotation uh, issue. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's such such a thing called label deduction. Um, uh, a theoretical framework for associating different logics. Uh, at each step, if you will. So that's a way, uh, uh, theoretically, where you can um, you can uh, do symbolic 
processing of annotations associated with some object level, if you will, um, assertion. Uh, so uh, the two the two logics are correlated, so that you can in fact infer certain things at each level. Uh, so, for example, if you want to do security or provenance or uh, you know potentially ontology use case information, you could annotate that and uh, symbolically uh, process that at each step. Um, of the underlying, you know, object level ontology assertion or deduction. So you think that uh, um, the label deduction is a theoretical framework for doing symbolic processing on annotations associated with a concept? Yes. And it involves two logics. One is about the annotation. Multiple logics. Or multiple logics. Well, I guess the logics of annotations versus logic of the concept domains, right? Right. And you're saying that. Um, and, and who's doing this type of work, or is there some pointer that you can... Yeah, uh, Dov Gabay uh, came out with a book probably around 97, 98. W Dave who? Uh, Dov, D-O-V, uh, mm -hmm. Bay, G-A-B-B-A-Y, uh, a logician. Uh, and, and there's been applications of this. Uh, I know of, of some in, ap in the natural language where you uh, try to synchronize the syntax and the semantics with different rules at each step. So it's, it's, it's it really, um, uh, one of the primary uh, benefits is that um, when you're doing a logical deduction that involves uh, probably a very expressive logic, um, so if you're doing a, uh, you know, modus ponens, if then, uh, if if x and y and mm -hmm. x and then declaring you know or or, or inferring y um, at each step right you could have annotations associated with that assertion um, meaning there might be a security uh, aspect right in other words the first one has a security um, you know level of a and the second has a security security level of b. And you could develop a logic which is typically a, a simpler logic, uh, maybe even uh, you know propositional logic associated with each step of the deduction. But it really means that you're annotating the deductions that you're doing in your primary logic with other information such as uh, security, provenance, belief, etc. Yes, that uh, seems to be similar to. Um the approach that uh, people in uh, type system who do type systems, you know, um, uh, in the context of a programming language, for example, uh, use where to talk about the security of an application, um, they develop a type system that has the original um, type information about the application domain, like uh, messages, letters, um, money, uh, whatever. And they annotate that that information with uh, security data, for example, or quality data, or some other data in in some other domain. And now the extended type system provides um, a, a basis for uh, checking if the program, for example, um, uh, uh, is safe in the sense that um, there are some typing rules about uh, transferring, say, high security information uh, into a function that. Uh, has another low security information output, and the output of that function, say, 
is classified as low security, and so that the idea there is that the high security information input is compromised uh, in the output, and that would be a violation, for example. Uh, does that sound similar, but yeah, perhaps from a different similar. perspective? You're working, you're basically doing reasoning um, uh, over two levels, or, right. or multiple levels simultaneously. Okay. Thank you, Leo, for the, for the pointer. Thank you. Uh, this is Brand. I've got two practical ontology applications that I'd like to mention briefly before I have to go and see if this group is interested. Who is this, please? Brand Neiman. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if Dean is... Dean, are you still on the line? I guess he had to drop off. One involves Dean. The first is, uh, we mentioned 111.79. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm glad to hear that uh, there's work uh, going on to uh, formally convert that standard to uh, to uh, OWL, but uh, as a practical matter, what we've started to do, and I'd like to get some feedback on, is just uh, take start to take the data standards that we have in our agency, like other agencies that have been been done with 111.79, and uh, begin to convert them to uh, or see uh, see see how they should. Uh, be mapped to say sumo. For example, if you just one of our data standards, uh, 1179 data standards is date. Okay, and it's a very brief definition in the 11179 format. But then you go to sumo, and it's connection to Word WordNet, and you get uh, eight or nine nine definitions uh, or mappings, and uh, one of them sort of matches the one that we're using in our agency. So it's that kind of practical thing. How would you? How would you take existing 111.79 data standards and uh, make them more formal using, say, Sumo? The second is uh, is the project that Top Quadrant has done for us. They've constructed an ontology of the Federal Enterprise Architecture Reference Model, and uh, what we'd like to do is get that ontology in OWL reviewed along with its uh, documentation and uh, also, uh, uh, a review of one of what we expect would be many applications of that ontology to build to build um, build the federal enterprise architecture. And, and Dean, who was on the call, has led that effort. We have their their document for review. As soon as they have completed the open license agreement on the actual OWL ontology for that, that will be released, and then. Uh, at the SWANS conference in early April, uh, we'll see all that along with an actual application of that ontology uh, for the purposes of um, bringing about increased collaboration and partnerships across the federal government in IT projects. So I don't know whether those fit within in the discussion you're leading here, Nicholas, or not. Uh, definitely, yes. Um, uh, I've uh, jolted down some uh, notes about um, what the two applications uh, you mentioned. Uh, so I will post a description to Great. what I've just said, along with the links. Great. And then at some future meeting, if this is of interest uh, to you and the agenda you've laid out here, then uh, I'd uh, like to get the feedback. The, pr the problem is indeed similar that you mentioned date in um, in 11.179 versus date in SUMO. And what I would not be surprised is if, in fact, if you read 
deeper into the uh, 1179 text, for example, or perhaps in, in the application, that uh, some of the semantic distinctions that Sumo makes about date might actually turn out to be in the application content itself. That's another kind of, um, um, uh, of, of problem that um, I, I had in mind to, to talk about, the fact that uh, uh, if we've made the semantic alignment and we said, okay, well, I date map this to that, okay, and we're done, and assume that life is great and move on, and later realize that, whoops, um, it was not. And now uh, you have to either explain uh, what was wrong or perhaps uh, uh, try to figure out now um, how is it that we uh, have to correct it given the fact that now the single concept date has been used all over the place, perhaps in application, without, um, you know, ignorance, blissful ignorance of the distinctions Sumo makes. What do you do then now? Um, and and that kind of relates to some earlier discussions about um, the, the, the notion of a context, uh, either as um, look information about the locality of information or about the um, functional or, or process role of the information. Oh, along the line of, of uh, brands, request as Peter Yim here. Uh, actually, Bob Smith and I guess with the support from Pat Cassidy and, and I guess Kurt too, uh, meant to start an, an effort called ORB. I mean, if people still remember that, and we haven't talked about that for a few weeks now, uh, it's called Ontologs Review of Books and Things. And, and things could be certain uh, artifacts or uh, uh, efforts that, that people could re request us to, to review. Actually, one of the, the first things that this group wanted to review was the uh, Jeff Pollock and, and Roth, uh, Roth, uh, uh, Roth's book. Hodgson. Yeah, Roth Hodgson's book. So uh, I guess, I mean, that, I mean, obviously a discussion scheduled discussion is a good good way to, to handle it, or if it needed slightly more extended uh, effort for people to, to sort of review the things first and then uh, and, and then make a, a discussion. I mean, that could be one sort of vehicle that we could put it through. Yes, definitely. I mean, I it's along the line of things that would be interesting to the group. Thank you, Peter. And, and let me, if I could, mention one last thing that came out of our uh, Tuesday workshop uh, under the category of, uh, of uh, support available. Doug Wall, who is a data architect with the CIA, announced at our Tuesday workshop that the CIA is planning to essentially uh, build out its data, architect with, uh, data architecture with ontologies and that they are looking for any and all ontologists that have or can get security clearances to uh, work on that, and that they try to do all their work in the open domain uh, so that it can be reviewed openly, I guess, but uh, you still have to have a security clearance because, I guess, in the process of doing that work, they still need to tell you certain things uh, that are secret or top secret to do it. So. I think that's a tremendous opportunity for the members of your forum uh, to follow up on uh, with him. And, and his contact information is, is uh, available there in the, uh, in the CoLab wiki. Right. 
Okay, and, and, and uh, thanks, Brent. I, I actually had the chance to talk to Doug afterwards, and and he did mention, obviously, I mean, he hopes, I mean, it, having clearance is preferred, but but he he is prepared to accept that. I mean, maybe not enough ontologists have enough clearance for the purpose, and and he's definitely open to to people uh, without clearance. Uh, so so don't be shy, even if you don't have clearance, and um, uh, in case you uh, have problem with the contact, I, I have uh, Doug's contact also. So anybody interested could also email me in case you couldn't find the, the relevant information. And one last thought that just came to me is actually he has led the development of the terrorist watch list uh, schema, XML schema in the government. I'll post a link to that because you might want to look at that uh, before you talk to him because that would be an obvious thing that he's looking to evolve into an ontology. I've done some work in uh, uh, different contexts that may be applicable to that. Um, I'll, Peter, I'll contact you for his contact sure. information. I mean, are you a Canadian citizen? Um, I've worked for the U.S. before. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get in touch offline. Great. Thank you. I'll post yeah, those things the, later on today when I have time. Thank you. Bye. We're not declared a hostile nation yet, I don't think. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's indeed uh, great that uh, these uh, opportunities are, uh, are showing up because um, indeed uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to... Um, to find support for uh, this type of work, given that um, it's so of um, um, non-mainstream. <laughs> well, so far, question of the the pain point. You know, it's uh, you know, if you go to a, a vertical group and say, "Hey, this may make your business transactions cost ten cents instead of twelve cents, and you'll get your money back in twelve years." It's not a very powerful pain point, but if you go. Uh, you know, to somebody who realizes that even one terrorist getting into a country can create a lot of havoc and potentially bring an end to a, a certain way of life. That's a very powerful pain point. Other areas where it's highly relevant are in the uh, uh, medical areas for the uh, outbreak of contagious infectious diseases. Um, when you look at SARS, avian flu virus, uh, that kind of a stuff, there's huge pain points and a strong will and desire to adopt this. And then in other uh, highly visible uh, public um, type things, uh, you know, such as the food chain, and uh, you know, to some degrees, I guess the you know the, the things we were talking about earlier are highly relevant too. This is uh, Andy Shang from NASA headquarters. Just to sort of amplify that point, uh, we were mandated. NASA was mandated after the in the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. Talk about a highly visible, highly public event in order to get our arms around data. And Nicholas, you and I haven't talked yet. I think a few people on the line know about something that NASA is going to be sponsoring coming up here, which is sort of a semantic interop, where we might have, uh, what we're trying to do is actually host an event where we have practical applications of some of this, some of, some of which we talked about today, especially how uh, terms can mean different things based on their logical proximity to either who created them or what they were originally used for. 
and uh, we're going to make an announcement probably in the next 30 days forming the technical committee in order to try and figure out exactly what we mean by interoperable. So you're, you're, uh, what is the title again of this uh, uh, work that you mentioned? Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it, it's a good point for anybody outside of NASA is that it doesn't become real until we get an acronym. So right. <laughs> I guess we need to work on that. Right now we're calling it the Semantic Web Interop, and uh, we've gotten sponsorship, at least at the headquarters level, from uh, John McManus and uh, Nitin Nyat, who, at least on the data pyramid, sort of sit at the tippy top. So they like the idea, and we're getting some help from the W3C and some other folks in order to try and get the concept off the ground. And uh, yeah, that would be a great, um, great thing uh, to um, to see because uh, in 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 this uh, forum, uh, I've not seen many uh, people, um, you know, talking about space stuff and. Uh, in space missions and whatnot, but uh, right. So. <laughs> and for and for us, uh, you know, I, n n not to try and, and steer the conversation just for for the appliances of NASA, but you know, I think I think the the concept of trying to construct large, complex ontologies is, is might be a non-starter for us anyway. But the only way we're going to succeed is by getting small, special-focused ontologies linked together. Right, and, but you know that—that's about—that's the way we work. We have so many subject matter experts; it's just going to be impossible to try and, and and find one. Which is why I really the discussion today, Peter and Nicholas, has been very compelling because it's it's exactly the association between ontologies that we need and and trying to get sort of a I don't know an SVN type of uh, repository for them that. Uh, is going to be necessary for us to succeed. But one point I'd make uh, uh, that's raised by what you said about uh, different um, subject matter experts all wanting to build different um, <coughs> specialized ontologies, that's all very fine, uh, except that if you do not have a mechanism by which your subject matter experts can determine if they're doing redundant representations, then, of course, your individual ontologies simply will not talk to each other. They will diverge very rapidly. Uh, by all means, let everybody develop the specialized ontology they want, but you must have some mechanism for determining whether or not two different specialized groups actually need the same concept, and if they do need the same concept, put that into the middle-level ontology under yeah, your I, ontology. And if I you don't do that, you'll 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 go you just you just do this repeat all the same mistakes we've been making for the last thirty years. I would assume yeah. that you already have an ontology, whether you've declared it or not. And what you're really talking about is capturing and expressing it. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I, I I agree with both of those statements. And you know, so so trying to develop those practical tricks in either to based on the providence who created it or some other checkout mechanism, uh, some way of trusting it. However we come up with it, the idea is, on this event I was talking about, actually getting some of those, so, getting some of those approaches onto a demonstration floor and trying them out. Where is this interrupt going to, the, the event going to take place? Uh, if I had my if I had my way, which I'm I'm not sure I'm going to, 
there's only a few NASA centers that really have the, the floor space where we could put something together like that. Um, I've had informal discussions with uh, Susan Turnbull and some other folks about maybe doing it in some government space, but, you know, I'd like to, if NASA is going to uh, be one of the primary sponsors, I'd like to be able to host it as well. So we're looking for, after the plenary session next week and, uh, and some other little paperwork things, we're going to try and make an announcement. And there'll be both a technical group and there'll be sort of like a logistics offshoot as well that will try and work the, the where and uh, the when. We're trying to target August, but it's kind of sporty. Uh, by the time you, you are ready with the announcement and if it can be published, then make a post to the Ontologue Forum. I'm sure the community would be excited. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I didn't really want to use the time as, uh, as an advertisement, but I did want to stress to Nicholas that, and, and to the rest of the group that, at least on the NASA perspective, the, what I'm starting to get is that there are enough people that understand our unique problem with the volume of data the, the full range of data, and then unlike the intelligence of the Department of Defense, the range in customers for our data, um, it, you know, if it works for us, it's going to work for just about anybody, I think. Yes, uh, could you please again um, uh, state uh, who, who you are, I didn't catch exactly your name at the beginning. Yeah, uh, this is Andy Shane. From NASA, actually. From so if you click on his name, you, you find out who he is. Yeah, and I'll, I'll Nicholas, I, I've got your JPL number and so on. I'll call you up because I want because I've been talking to some folks at the Planetary Data Services mm -hmm. group, and I want to sort of talk to you guys anyway. I'll be out there next in two weeks. Okay. All right. Um, I think uh, we have uh, extended uh, you know the original uh, time of um, our. Uh, um, uh, session. Um, unless anybody has some um, last-minute things uh, to, uh, to to put out for the record, um, it probably well, would be a good time to close the discussion. I re request maybe Chris. Chris Mansell is still here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, didn't hear much from you. I'm sorry. One more time. We, we did not hear much from you. Uh, well, it. it uh, Perhaps borders uh, uh, um, a little bit more on the uh, on the uh, practical side than uh, than I'm usually sort of up in the clouds. So, uh, but it's always good for me to hear the uh, the uh, uh, hear about the practical issues involved. It keeps me well grounded in. Uh, but it, it's the connection. Really great it. that you can join us today. Thanks for good. coming. You bet. I enjoyed it. So. So back to you, Nicholas. Okay, well, uh, with that in mind, then I think um, I'll um, say thank you to all of those who participated. Uh, we're still around, but those who had to uh, to leave, um, it was um, great. I don't think I followed much of the 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 outline of the problems or discussions that uh, I had originally posted. Uh, but the discussion was certainly uh, lively and uh, veered into many topics. I've tried to put some notes on the um, February 24th um, page uh, for the discussions. Uh, feel free to make any corrections if you feel that I've uh, misstated your points. Um, but again, thank you, and um, see you at the next um, call. Yeah, and, and
everyone here, and uh, we've we have been recording this session. And for Nicholas, I mean, since you've been so kind to take notes, and if you have a chance to go through the recording again, uh, please do update and 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 compile. I'll certainly will. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.